Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. We're in the Words of Life series, and Brother Reese did a great job last week talking about words to live by. And this week, I want to talk about words to stand on. Words to stand on. You need a place to stand in a crumbling age, amen? In this deconstructionist age where they're pulling down monuments and taking things apart, you need to be able to stand on something that cannot be taken apart. So I want to preach to you for a few minutes on that topic. If you go to Psalms 119, verse 89, it says, Forever... O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Someone say, thank God. He's faithful to every generation. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. Why does it abide? Because God established it. Anything he establishes lasts. And they continue this day according to thine ordinances. For all are thy servants. Unless thy law had been my delight, I should then have perished in mine affliction. But thank God, he had a delight in the law of the Lord, and his afflictions did not overcome him, but the word brought him up and out. And then he said in verse 93, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. With them you have brought me to life. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to hear your word. We want to hear the power of it. We want to hear the preciousness of it. We know that in this house, this place is dedicated to your word. And in this word is power and might and change and orchestration and doctrine and correction and righteousness, all those things found in this page, in these pages. So give us your strength from it. Let us ingest it, learn from it, and take it from this place and live it. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You may be seated. It's an indestructible word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Dean. Tremendous job. Seven times on the Bible's first page, the scripture says, and the Lord said, no fewer than nine times in the first chapter of your Bible does the scripture say, and, and God said. Unbelievably, with all the promises and power of the word of God, so many still find it an anomaly. They are not given to reading it. They're not given to devotion. They're not given to searching the scriptures, as the Bible says. But thus causes that that particular understanding causes us to know that regardless of the ills of society regardless of the place where culture goes regardless of how much the bible even says that men make the word void that if the word is unleashed, it can reverse curses. It can reverse things that man has created and it can change the things that man did not understand they were creating. Amen? But because they do not read this word, it is 
oftentimes left in the pages, the power, the preeminence, the glory, the capabilities of this eternal, ever-settled word. And I read to you that this word is settled. It is established. It is a place where it shall not settle. In fact, if you're going to build a building, they check to make sure that the ground that you're laying the building on is settled, or when it settles, the structure will be damaged. Amen, somebody. And so he said, thy word is settled in heaven. I thank God I know that this word is forever settled in heaven. But I also thank God I know that this word needs to be settled in the earth because sometimes it is not. And we have to pray it to pass, as the scriptures would say. We have to bring this seed through prayer into the earth and so forth and in so much that we pray until we see what's forever settled in heaven settled on earth. Amen. And so because of that, there are many people that are burglarized in their personal lives and in their spiritual lives and do not have all the great gifts that we come in and, and propels us to lift our hands and to worship God because we've lived under the weight of these words for so long. Many do not even know uh, the scripture says that, that the word of the Lord has power and strength. And so if, if they do not know this, if they do not know as the scripture says that his word is spirit and life, then, then there are places where people will fall into pitfalls and, and difficulties and struggles that people will just fall into and not know that they could have avoided it had they known the word of God. One survey recently said that most people or many people do not know or cannot list even the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Another survey said more than half Americans today know less than five of the Ten Commandments. A majority of them say that the Bible to them is irrelevant. That may be the voice of the majority, but there's a more powerful word than the majority, amen? It's the word of God, and it always stands and is relevant and is able to conquer anything that man creates or man does. So still, even in that word remaining locked in this book and the promises kept at bay, we understand that when you mix faith with this word, it can change things. It's not because of people that won't read it that we don't see the power. It's not because of people that won't, uh, won't embrace its truth that you see it not having spirit and life. You, it's not that people may not even preach it that it's not uh, anointed. For it is, it is all those things by itself. Whether you believe its truths or not, it's true. Whether you preach the the book or not, it's anointed all by itself. Whether you live it or not, the truths still remain and you will see the consequences of the choices of not living the word of God. Every choice obviously having consequences, but knowing that the word of God is anointed all by itself, we realize that when we stand here to preach or we stand and we read the Bible or we stand on a promise from the word of God, we're standing on something that cannot be shaken, that is forever settled and can be built upon. And it not only can be built upon, but it can be sustained in our life. And so the word of God is so powerful 
that you can put every bit of your life on it and it will stand. Amen? In a world that has so many things shaken, I'm thankful for a book that stands the test of time. It stood above men's philosophies. It stood above researchers' uh, scrutiny. It stood above the scientists that would adventure to say that it is a bunch of lies. It stood above the atheist. It stood above all other things, and it still stands so you can stand on it. Amen. Western Reserve University researched five de denominations and revealed that 57% of Lutheran pastors and 57% of Baptist pastors and 81% of Presbyterian pastors and 82% of Methodist pastors and 89% of Episcopal clergy said that they don't believe that this book is inspired. And it's a book of good stories and of truths, but they don't believe it's inspired by God. But I believe it is God-breathed, as the book says it is. For all scripture is given by inspiration, or God-breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, but they don't read it. And so the timeless truths stay in here between its pages and their burglarized from the bounty and the blessings of God. And I come, I rise to tell you today that everything you need is in this book. And when you feel like you cannot stand, you can stand on this. They put out the movie, the Bible, and they tried to make people understand how cool the Bible is. And they did tours and they did all kinds of different things to create the understanding that the Bible is cool. I think we do better to let people understand that the Bible is true and they're in it. Oh, this is an easy day. We'll just get through this word. Don't worry about it. Somewhere else, even if I don't hit you now, I'll hit you later with something. So whenever you feel something resonate in your spirit, just throw up a hand and say amen. <laughs> amen, preacher. Because when there's nothing to stand on in my life, I found out I could stand on the word of God. When I had no future, no pedigree, no finances, no, nothing you could point at and say, well, that got him out. The word got me out. The word brought me through. God's word held me and it kept me and it, it pulled together my life. And then whenever I surrendered my life to God, he walked into my future and changed it, walked back to my past and picked up all the broken pieces and he brought it all to Calvary and he covered it in his blood and then he washed my sins away and filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I'm so grateful that I know that the promises in the book are real. Every promise in the book. Hallelujah. We used to sing that when I was younger. I grew up in church. My grandmother sang, every promise in the book is mine. And I said, I don't want every promise in that book. <laughs> Some of them aren't that great. I want every good promise in the book is mine. <laughs> Our faith does not stand on human guesswork. This is not the amalgamation of men that just thought it was a good idea to write a letter. This is not philosophical conjecture. This is not prose and parables that seemed good to pass on through time. This is not just the rock of someone's recollection. This is the Holy Scriptures. And they're built upon God's holy authority and his holy writing. In the Scriptures, we understand that the Bible stands forever because of who authored it. 
through man. For all men. In fact, the scripture says that holy men of old wrote as they were inspired by God. It may have been their pen on paper, but it was God that wrote through them. And the reason why we know that's true is because everything in this book has stood through time and anything made by man can be destroyed by man. But they've tried to destroy it and they couldn't. So it wasn't just written or built by man. It was built by God through man. You have to understand that principle. You have to know that if men wrote it, men could have destroyed it. But because men didn't write it and it is God breathed and inspired, only God can destroy this word. In fact, God has said forever it is settled in heaven. And so, because we know that, we ought to be forever trying to settle it on the earth. We ought to forever be trying to pray the seeds that are put in our life every Sunday through the sermon into path, bring them to pass through our prayers. We ought to understand that this word forever settled is inspired, it's immutable, it's invaluable. It is the word of God. It's an entire book with one great theme, and his name is Jesus, and he stands above all the pages, and everything in the Old Testament speaks of him, and everything in the New Testament speaks of him, and every, I want to preach today, and every sacrifice of blood and of goats rolled up to that cross, and every sin from that day forward has rolled back to that cross, and thank God his cross stands off the pages of literature in the fact that it's God ordained. It's God's word made flesh, dwelt among us, crucified on the cross, rose again on the third day. He got up for my sin. He got up for my resurrection. And this word quickens me every day. Oh, I thank God for his word. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I know it's the word of the Lord because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8 and 4, I'm going to get a little Pentecostal. I apologize, but I don't. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. But Ecclesiastes 8 and chapter... <laughs> Stop. Let me preach. Where, where the word of a king is, here's a revelation for you. Where the word of a king is, there is power. I want to say power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? In other words, the revelation is in that first section of this passage of scripture. It elbows its way out through time where the word of a king is. There is power. Pharaoh spoke and Joseph was elevated. Saul spoke and Ahimelech was slain. David spoke and Uriah was sent to his death. Solomon spoke and the temple was built because where the word of a king is, there is power. Mm. Ahab spoke and Naboth's vineyard was taken. Jehoshaphat spoke and angels were, were disseminated or actually were released to ambush Israel's enemies. Belshazzar spoke and Daniel went to the lion's den. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and three Hebrews went into a fiery furnace. But when they got in the fire, a fourth one showed up. Because God always shows up when you stand in the fire. When you get in times of trial and struggle, God shows up. Herod spoke and John was beheaded. Festus spoke and Paul was spared because where the word of a king is, there is power. But I have one other word for you. Jesus said that his word stands forever. Amen. And where the word of a king is, there is power. It's a little known truth, but Jerusalem and those devout Jews know it to be true that the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down from the mountain when he got so upset because they were worshiping idols, he threw them down. 
and they broke. And then the ones that God had given them in broken pieces, they picked them back up because God gave them to them. And they put them in the Ark of the Covenant. And then when God gave them new ones, they put the new one next to it. Most understand in Jewish history that not only are the ones that God gave that got broken in the Ark of the Covenant, but the ones that Moses wrote because of God, because he dropped them and broke them, are also in the Ark of the Covenant, which tells me that the Word of God is for the broken and the whole. Amen? The Word of God is for people that come with nothing and people that come with doctorate degrees. The Word of God is for the people that have nothing together and people that have everything together. I don't care how good your life has been or how polished it's been. You need the word of God in your life. I don't care how broken your life has been. I don't care how damaged you came. You are not damaged good. His word can heal you. And his word is worthy of being stood on. It's not just a message preached from a pulpit. It's what's in the message that matters. And what I preach to you today is not from my own creativity. I cannot sit down for three hours and produce a sermon that hits every single season of our lives in this room, that hits every single demographic of every person in this room or online, listening in Georgia and other places that we know about today. We know there's people listening all over the the world but in three or four hours I can pray my way through the word of God and I can bring you something that's anointed not because it's just I'm anointed but because the word of God is anointed and where the word of the king is there is power there is power in this church because his word is preached there's power in this people because his word is in our hearts I know I'm getting Pentecostal now unto the king eternal Immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever. His word stands so you can stand on it. Our king spoke and creation happened. Our king spoke and the incarnation happened. Our king spoke and salvation happened. Our king spoke and justification happened. Our king will speak and glorification happens in our life. Thank God we have a speaking God. And thank God we have his forever settled word to live on and stand on. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for his word. He is the blessed and only potentate, the scripture says. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank God for that. So those tables of stone that were in the Ark of the Covenant pillaged by pagans and they went inside the Ark of the Covenant and they took out the bowl of manna and they took out Aaron's rod that budded but those seemingly insignificant rocks they left in the Ark of the Covenant. So when they winded their way on a blood trail of sacrifices to Solomon's temple and said, finally David brought it back to the, the Ark of God, back to the temple and finally when they set it into Solomon's temple every time they worshiped the Lord there was power there because what the pagans didn't understand was you can take the, the bowl of manna and you can take the rod of Aaron out but you left the word of the king in you left the power in the box but the power 
came down and the glory was so heavy. The Bible says they couldn't even minister because the the weight of the glory of God in the tabernacle. I'm thankful for the word of God for it is tied into the power of God, amen? And where the word of a king is, there is power. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the word of God in this place. I'm thankful this church is dedicated to the word of God, and I'm thankful that the people of this church are dedicated to hide the word of God in our heart that we might not sin against God. David lifts an amazing and unparalleled truth when he said the word is forever settled. If you put the word of God in your heart, if you memorize the scripture, it will settle you. The only place to settle is on the word of God, amen? Don't settle in your professional life. Don't settle in the places that you have goals. Do not settle when God has potential inside of you, but when you get to the point of understanding where settling needs to take place, it needs to take place on the word of God. You can stand on God's word, amen? Pinned on two continents, countries hundreds of miles apart, some in Syria, some in Arabia, another in Gothic Greece, a portion of it in the deserts of Sinai, another in the wilderness of Judea. It was pinned in a cave. It was pinned in a prison house. It was pinned in the palaces of Shushan and Zion. It was written by a river Babylon and by Shabar. It was written in mosaic truths. It was written in prose and potential. It was written in all kinds of allegories, but there's no other literature phenomenon like it. In fact, atheists study the word of God for its literary competency. It was written in not just one language, but three Hebrew languages. It was written in Aramaic and Greek. The earliest writer started writing 1,500 years before the last writer was even born. And it all sews together seamlessly. You couldn't do that with everybody in this room. We couldn't all sit down and write the same poem and it all come out right. <laughs> Literally, the fact that we can say that this word is inspired and when you pull on Genesis, it puckers in Revelation because it's so sewn together. We have to understand that only God can do that because it wasn't just one writer, but it was poetries, prose, letters, allegories, and then not to be confused, but to understand that this book was written not only through God's hand, but it was written in such a way that it does not have the errors of those times in it. You don't see the scientific errors of the day, of the contemporary days in which it was written in this book. In fact, we understand so many things from this book. The things we get happy about God come from our understanding from this book, amen? knowing that he's a God that walked in flesh and that we have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling, that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Amen. We understand that he recognizes and knows who we are, that he's God in flesh. He doesn't sit on some high throne somewhere and just look down on us poor little ants running around on planet Earth. But he came to be with us, to feel, to struggle, to suffer. And so that when we suffer, we suffer as Christ and therefore have a great reward in heaven. None of the misconceptions of that age are in this book. Do you understand what I mean by that? None of the misconceptions of that age, the things that they did scientifically and the things that they did in, in health manners, none of that, all of that error is not in the book. Know, know this, 
that God put in the scriptures the very things that modern science and health has found throughout time. It's so cool to see the word of God line out for us things that we're just now finding out about. And over thousands of years, we see that in Leviticus 17, the Bible tells us life is in the blood. They didn't even have a microscope. They didn't even know about microbes, but Leviticus 17 told them life is in the blood. Proverbs 14 tells us that the heart circulates blood through the body. They didn't know that. Job 26 says the earth is hanging out on nothing. Ecclesiastes 1 tells us about the circuits of the winds of the earth. Isaiah 40 tells us that the earth is round and not square. Columbus didn't think that one up. God did. Genesis 22 says that the numbers of the stars are innumerable and that God made the stars also. In fact, the reason why I say that this book is absent the misconceptions of its age when it was written was because 150 years before Christ, astronomers believed that in those days that there was only 1,026 stars and two centuries later, they had only found two dozen more. But 600 years before Christ, Nehemiah, Jeremiah said, the host of heavens cannot be numbered. And now we know he's right. Because the word of God stands above the error of men. And so you don't see the error of men in the word of God. You see the forever settled word of God. Science, who has, uh, who has decided to stand against the word of God. Maybe you found argument with some people that said science is opposite the Bible, but I want to tell you that science has been proven by the Bible. In fact, in one library in Paris, France, there are more than three and a half miles of bookshelves that hold nothing more than obsolete science books. Three and a half miles of literary works of science from men that were the best of their day. And this book should have something that's wrong with it like that, but there are none found in the word of God. I'm so grateful I know you can stand on the forever settled word of God. In 1861, French Academy of Sciences published 51 irrefutable, irrefutable facts that they said proved the Bible was wrong. Today, there's not a single scientist that believe any of those 51 facts. But our Bible's still here. The word of God still stands, amen? Out of all of this diversity that I talked about just now, out of all the forms of different understanding, out of having shepherds and kings, priests and pauper, write the word of God, penned by God, you'd think it'd be the amalgamation that's nothing more than just a mess, just, a, just an explosion in a, in a dictionary factory. It literally should just be an absolute mess of literature, of works, of of the past, and it should be absolutely 
absolutely irrelevant to our day. But what is the result of all of those things? I previously preached to you, out of all of that diversity, this speaks to our day, brothers and sisters, out of all of that diversity comes one form of doctrine, one system of ethics, one rule of faith, one plan of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, a God who is above all and in you all and bless forever the God of this book. This book talks about Jesus because he is God. If you want a Bible that talks about God, it's going to talk about Jesus and it's built up on the foundations of our God, his word forever settled and his word is not bound to time because it's forever settled in heaven. Elisha found out about that when he went to his grave. He's nothing more than bones. And he has one more miracle promised to him. But because we don't watch over the word of God, the scripture says he watches over his word. Because he watches over his word, that old prophet may not have been able to rest, I don't know. But when those Midianites came in and they threw that thief, they threw that buddy of theirs that died down in that hole, hit the bones of the prophet, he jumped back out of that hole. That poor dude didn't know what hit him, but what hit him was years of promise of God, overwatched by God Almighty, that he watches over his word and he shall perform it. My grandmother, forgive me for the family reference, my grandmother watched my grandfather, who was a preacher, walk away from God over bitterness and ministry and he spent years putting Jack Jim Beam in his Coke can so we wouldn't see him getting drunk while he was working at the house and he would just have his Coke can. We never asked for a sip. Good thing we didn't because we didn't know any better but he would be getting drunk and he would be working on the vehicle and we didn't even know it and one Sunday she went to church and went home and she went to sleep that night and God gave her a vision of my grandfather standing at the front at the altar lifting his hands and she saw that from the back and she saw the whole altar space and the place where the pulpit was at and he'd walk right down front stood lifted his hands and gave his life back to the Lord she saw that and for 10 years she prayed it for 10 years she waited for 10 years she believed God and stood on his promises and so 10 years later she walks into the house after Sunday morning helps fix lunch and all afternoon my grandfather's sitting over there watching TV and the lazy boy weeping down his face tears coming down his eyes Niagara Falls breaking loose from all the repentance that he was doing and as she got up to go she didn't even know what was going on in the house but God was working on his promise God was looking over his word God was making it come to pass and as she got up said I'm getting ready to go to Sunday night service he said would it be okay if I go with you and that that night he left his pew, walked down the center aisle and stood at the center of the altar and lifted his hands and that same wood paneling on the back wall was what she saw in her dream and 10 years later God watched over his word and brought my grandfather back to God.
I'm telling you, he watches over his word and it's not bound to time. So if God ever tells you anything, if you ever get in this book and get a promise, I promise you, God will watch over that promise. Go find it. Go put it in your life. Write it on a three by five. Stick it up by your speedometer. Tell it to yourself. Speak it over your life and his promise will come to pass. Amen, somebody. The beauty of the word of God is it's a seed. We talked about that in the first section of this sermon series. It's a seed. As soon as you embrace the word of God, it conceives something in you. And then God brings it to pass. Look at Mary, little woman who if there had been a Jew, a devout Jew that heard about her situation, could have got heady and high-minded and pulled out the law and took her to stone her. But because Joseph was a good man, he put her away privately so that that which was conceived in her could be brought to, to pass. But when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to conceive without a man, that which is going to be born in you is going to be of God. Mary, I don't know if she had the ability to believe it, but the Bible says she was a woman of faith. And what she said was, nevertheless, at thy word. I believe, you believe what you want, but I believe at the moment she embraced God's word, Jesus was conceived in her. That's what I believe. Because when you believe the word of God, something is planted, a seed is sown, there's a conception that takes place. But before anybody gets to play with a baby, somebody's got to bring that dude to birth. Somebody's got to go through the labor pains and the intercession and prayer. Somebody's got to bring the forever settled word of heaven into the earth and establish it again. Thank God I have seen so many times where men and women of God have prayed the forever settled word into their life and their life was established and settled on that word. Thank God for that. But if you have no faith, I want you to know one more story and that's of Simon Peter when Jesus got ready to honor him for the use of his boat. He said, cast out your net. He said, launch out into the deep and drop your net down for a drought or for a haul. And when Peter had no faith, for they had cleaned the nets. They had put away for the night. They had worked all night, even telling Jesus why, without saying it, why don't you stick to the carpentry? I'll stick to the fishing, amen? He said, okay, nevertheless, at thy word. And something happened. He said, cast out into the deep your net. Peter was a professional fisherman. He knew there was no fish in the deep at that time of day. But as soon as Peter said, at thy word, fish started hightailing it toward the deep. <laughs> they were headed to a rendezvous place with a miracle, amen? As soon as you embrace the word of God, you're headed to a rendezvous with a miracle because that word is overwatched by God. And so he says, the Bible says he cast out a net. He already cleaned all the rest, didn't want to have to clean more if this was a bust. And they brought in such a haul of fish that the net break, the scripture says. And so we understand that the word of God was forever set in the mind of Peter so that whenever God came walking on the water, Peter knew as a professional fisherman, you cannot walk on water. He didn't have to have science. He didn't have to understand the laws of buoyancy. 
He knew if you fell in, you were getting wet. But because he had experienced the word of God before, he said, only say the word. And your word is so powerful, it arrests gravity. It'll arrest the loss of buoyancy. And he stepped out on water and walked to Jesus. And yes, he looked around and got troubled by the storm and began to sink, but Jesus still picked him up because Jesus will not let his word fail. And because he was walking on the word of God, his faith took him down. His lack of faith took him down, but his faith in God's word brought him back up. We have to understand how powerful this word of God is. Amen. And I'm closing. It's been a 23-year journey of preaching the Word of God. I, I, I got certificates in my office. Thank you for preaching the Word of God this many years, that many years. And I want you to know that preaching the Word of God as a pastor is more a privilege than anything else because I get to find truths in here I haven't found yet. In fact, the Bible says that in heaven there's going to be revelation given to us throughout eternity. If His Word is eternal, then we're going to learn things about this word for all eternity. It's not going to be boring in heaven, folks. It's going to be a place of revelation, a place of understanding. We're just going to continue to see one beautiful concept and construct of God after another all throughout the ages as he unfolds the seeds of what's in this book for eternity. I hope that impacts you. I hope that makes a difference in your life. If you're going to build your life on anything, build it on this book. If you're going to build your family on anything, build it on this book. If you're going to build your marriage on anything, build it on this book. If you're going to build your family and your kids on anything, build it on this book. For it is the seeds of life and it is the salvation of our soul. The middle 1700s, I'm closing. You can stand. Please stand with me. Are you glad you have a word to stand on? In the middle 1700s, a fire broke out in London and it warmed the ground so much that sea trodden long underfoot were quickened and brought to life from the heat because the fire was so intense, it heated through the ground and got down into the soil so far that flowers began to bud and come up and spring to life in London that they had never seen before. They had been brought in by bird or by animal. They had been brought in by tradesmen or overseas somewhere, but they had never seen these flowers before until the fire of 1700 heat, heated up the ground so much that these non-indigenous flowers began to grow all over London. And the fire of the Holy Ghost is what sets the seed of God free. The Word of God, you can hear so many, some of us have heard so much preaching it could save the world. Just turn to somebody and say, when's this Word going to take on you? <laughs> but sometimes it gets so buried in this earth, in this soil we are made from, this, this human existence that we need the fire of the Holy Ghost to come down and warm the places we never thought had seeds planted.
every sermon you've ever heard, every word of God ever spoken over you, every prayer ever prayed, every time someone believed a word for you, it planted a seed in your life. And some of that seed may be very buried right now. You may seem like nothing's growing, nothing's blooming, nothing's happened. All things in my life seem to just be dying. But I want you to know that when you get into God's presence, the fire of the Holy Ghost begins to warm this soul. And this soul can bud the promises of God and things can bloom in you. You've never seen before. You've never seen before. And we can see through faith the promises of God come to pass in our life. And people will look at you and say, I've never seen that. And you can just turn back to them and say, the word doesn't return void. That's why you need the Holy Ghost. Because the fire of the Holy Ghost is what quickens the seed from the word of God. And it brings it to pass in our life. Thank you, Jesus, for all the examples of miracles from your word in this room. Thank you for the salvation that is in the hearts and souls of lives here. God, I thank you for those that have gathered in your house to hear your word, for it is this place that has power because the word of God is preached. Lord, we stand upon the work of the Lord, not the literary works of men, not the conceptions of some that are zealous for God, but this was the book that changed the world, that changed the world. I thank you, Lord, for that. You said heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word forever settle. When Mary said, be it unto me as your word, she harmonized with heaven. Dean, she harmonized with heaven. She harmonized with heaven because the word was forever settled there. And she said, regardless of how it looks, regardless of my life being totally turned on its head, regardless of what people will think of me, let your word be settled in here. And when she harmonized with heaven, everything that has happened in this book could happen in her life. John Quincy Adams said, it's an exhaustible book of knowledge and virtue. Sir Isaac Newton called it the most sublime philosophy of them all. Sir Walter Scott, the letter writer, said, there is but one book, it's the Bible. But regardless of what they say about it, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Lift your hands. If you have your Bible, would you find it and put it in your hands? Would you just thank the Lord for his forever settled word? Thank you, God. We've hid it in our heart. Would you bring your Bible to this altar today and thank God for his truth endureth to all generations? Would you just bring it and pray? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the establishment of your forever settled word. Thank you, God, it lifts me. Thank you, God, it reminds me when I'm in a way that I don't understand, when I'm in a place that I cannot get out of, your word tells me I can stand. It was written in prisons. It was written in palaces. It was written in good times and bad times, so it stands through all time. Thank you, God, for your forever settled word. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. 
thank you, Jesus, for your word.